So good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning, especially if you are visiting with us. We want you to know that we're so very happy that you have chosen to come our way and spend this time of worshiping together our, our, our God. Well, I'd like to tell you that for the last couple of weeks that I've been on vacation in somewhere like Cancun or Mazalan or Puerto Rico or something like that. But the truth is, is I've been down with COVID. So about uh, 17 days ago, 16 days ago, I tested positive with COVID and I was feeling kind of crummy. And since then, I have been feeling crummy, crummy. but I have since tested uh, uh, positive or negative. And so uh, I'm doing pretty good, feeling pretty good. Someone asked me this morning, well, how are you feeling? I said, well, probably about 85%. Then I thought, well, if I lower my expectations a little bit, then I'm back up to 100%. And so things are going pretty good for me. I'm just, I'm telling you that so you don't have to be afraid of me. I'm not infectious or anything like that. I do have some residual stuff, some coughing that's going on a little bit. I kind of got into my lungs, but more, uh, but I'm doing pretty good. So anyway. Uh, let me just share with you a couple of things that I want you just to be a, a made aware of. I know you've heard a little bit about this, but beginning January the 15th, we're going to launch our Widow Widowhood uh, Ministry. Really excited about that. And so if you find yourself in that place as a widow or a widower, I think this is going to be a great ministry for you. You'll be able to fellowship with those who really understand what you're going through. And it's not going to be a cry fest kind of thing, but you'll be able to do some really positive things together with one another. And so let me encourage you uh, to participate in that if you are one or the, the other. The other thing that I wanted to tell you about is this man here, Ntongwe Etienne Nicholas. Ntongwe, or Nicholas that I call him by, I met him about six years ago at the seminar in, in Cameroon. And I, and I found out that he was the preacher in Kambe, which is on the western part of the region of Cameroon. And, and he is just an incredible man. I've been watching him over the years. I've been communicating with him through uh, Facebook and email and things like that. And he's a wonderful person. And so I uh, pr introduced him to the eldership. And we decided that we're going to start uh, uh, supporting him beginning this January as a, a native missionary. He's a great guy. He's a graduate from the school at Watutu. It's a, it's a satellite school for uh, Bear Valley, if, if you will. And so he graduated from there. He serves the Combi congregation as well as several prisons. Prisons are not over there or not anything like uh, prisons in America. It, over there, if you end up in prison, you're in bad shape. They don't feed you. They don't clothe you. If you, get, if you eat, it's because of your family or friends bringing you food. If you're clothed, the same reason. They give you a mat to sleep on. They give you water to drink, and that's it. And so uh, he, he goes there on a regular basis and this picture that you see behind me is a picture of him just as he left the uh, Mabamba, uh, Mabanda uh, prison and so he's going to be a great person to support and I just wanted you to know about that along with some of the others that we have been uh, talking about so you know several years ago when when newspapers were much more popular there were comic strips and people would read what we'd call the the funnies and one of the comics that was there was Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin was a little boy who had an imaginary friend that he called Hobbes, who was a Bengal tiger. And they oftentimes would have conversations with one another. And the thing that always struck me about Calvin and Hobbes was they'd always come out with some kind of, of life lesson for us to, to get. And so in, in one of the frames of this one particular comic, it says, uh, uh, Calvin says to Hobbes, live for the moment, that's my uh, motto. 
You never know how long you've got. You could be step out into the road tomorrow and wham, you get hit by a cement truck. And then you'd be sorry that you put off your pleasures. And then he looks at, uh, at Hobbes and he says, well, uh, that's why I say live for the moment. What's your motto? And Hobbes' motto was look down the road. Well, I thought that was pretty good, you know, that's insightful. And so there's a small lesson that is, is learned. And so let me ask you this morning, how are you doing as you look down the road? As you look down the road past some of the circumstances you're going through or the struggles that you're having or obstacles that are in your way, or even if life is really good and you're living in this moment where life just seems to be fantastic, how are you when it comes down to looking down the road of life? How do you look to the future? Do you look toward the future in terms of, of hope itself? I think that it's just so important that we are able to, to do that. Some people have called this, you know, the season of hope. And I think the reason why we call it the season of hope is because on one hand, we look past over the year of 2021, and we look at the things that are there, and now we're putting them behind us, and we're thinking forward to you know, down the road to 2022, and our hope is, is that life is going to be more normal. Or some have called it a season of hope because almost 2,000 years ago, actually for hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands of years, prophets of old were foretelling of the hope of a Savior, the Messiah, coming into the world that would save his people from their sins. And of course, that, that occurred 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem as Jesus was born in a, a, an animal stall and laid in a manger. And so we say, well, that's the season of hope because when Jesus came into the world, when God stepped out of eternity and wrapped himself in human flesh, that gave us a tremendous amount of hope. And this hope is seen not only in his birth, but in his life. Jesus lived for 33 years of life. And in three of those years, that's what we know the most about his life. We know that you know, that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man. But those three years of life were paramount to, to us as he began to announce the kingdom of God and as he began to talk about the good news, the good news that he is coming into this world to save mankind. It's also about his death on the cross for the sins of the world and then, of course, his resurrection. And then him ascending into heaven, which invites us now to look down the road and hope to the day of Christ's second coming when all the promises that he had made and all the prophets had made will be completely fulfilled and we'll find ourselves in heaven with God and with him and with all the saints. I don't know about you, but I think about heaven often. And as I get older, I even think of it even more often. And I think about those that have gone on before me that I'll be reunited with. Yes, I'll be in the presence of God. That's going to be uh, marvelous. To, to see Jesus, my Lord, that's going to be incredible. But to see my loved ones, uh, that's going to be a wonderful thing. And that's a promise that is placed out before me. Now, when you talk about promises, you know, some people are really optimistic about those kinds of, of things. They, are, they look forward with anticipation with a surety, but then there are those who are more pessimistic. They say, well, you know, what do you expect out of life? And so they are more on the negative side of, of things. They're a little bit like this old saying that is behind me. One man sees a rose bush in terms of thorns. Another one sees just the roses. 
One man sees a dark side of every cloud while the other looks for the silver lining. Different people look at hope in different kinds of ways. Genuine hope can, can never be based on just a subjective kind of temperament or a particular set of circumstances. Why? Because temperaments change. And circumstances in life change super rapidly in life. At the same time, it, hope is not just this optimistic view of life because if it's just an optimistic view of life and not addressing the realities of life, well, then that kind of a hope is a death, dumb, and blind kind of hope. But there is another hope that I think is more for us this morning, and that is the valid hope that is found within the Bible. I'm talking about a Christian hope because hope is so in, important as you begin just to think about life it, itself. Hope is, is, a, is the Christian's religion. In fact, Christianity is a religion of, of hope. It's a faith that looks down the road uh, of the future. It's a, where God's promises are going to become a reality to us. And I could stop right there with a sermon to which some would say amen. But here's the deal. The reason why you can't stop there is because hope sometimes is difficult for people. You know, hope is sometimes hard for people. It's hard for them to look forward to Christ's return and the resurrection and the reward of heaven because of the things that are going on in, in life. And so it is hope that helps us through the trying circumstances that occur in life. And the reason why you can't stop there is because hope is difficult for some people. In fact, sometimes hope is, is very difficult just to get your mind around when you think about all the things that are going on in life. And so how do you sustain hope in the midst of disappointment or difficulty? What about when people disappoint you? What about when life gets really difficult? How do we keep from being completely overwhelmed by trials and, and pain? How do we maintain an attitude of hope when everything seems to crush us like you know, a bug on a windshield of life? How do you do that? Or equally as important, how do we look down the road and hope when life is so good, when we are so transfixed on the now because it is good and, and it is wonderful, and we forget that there is a greater hope that is for us. And instead of living in the now and in the moment, we enjoy the moment, but we also know that there is a future that is even greater out in front of us. Well, we all face situations where it seems, you know, to be little objective reason for, for hope. I'm talking about in our jobs or in our marriages, in our relationship with family members. Some of those have... Uh, uh, faded seemingly hopeless when it comes down to medical or financial problems. Some of you right now may be in a situation that seems hopeless so that you are tempted to just say, I, I'm giving up. I'm going to just throw in the towel. I've, I've had enough. So how do you hold on to hope during those times when circumstances seem hopeless? Well, that's what the sermon is about this morning. It's about hope renewed. How can we renew our hope? Open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We're going to look in particular at verse 13. The context of this is, is Paul is addressing the church in Rome that is made up of both Jews, those who have come out of Judaism into Christianity, and Gentiles who have come into Christianity. And he's, he's encouraging them to live in harmony 
with one another because of the hope of salvation that has come to them through Jesus Christ. Here's what it says. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confidence or confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's an incredible section of scripture when you think about it. But here's the deal, you know, what is it? What is hope? Well, let's kind of, you know, deal with this idea that when, how, how sometimes we look at hope. Because hope is not always seen the same. There is a Christian hope, and then there's a hope that's out there in the, the world. And because of the way the world oftentimes look at hope, we have somewhat taken that, her, that hope and we have weakened it to the point that maybe we don't understand the, the deepness or the depth of, of Christian hope or biblical hope. So in one sense, when we look at hope in the world, they look at hope in terms of just wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is, is a formation of beliefs based on what we might uh, imagine or, or is pleasing to us. I hope it snows for Christmas. Or I hope that I hit the jackpot. No, I'm going to play the lotto, you know, or, or Powerball, and I hope that I'm going to hit the big one, even though it's like one in 292 million chance that it's going to happen. You know, I hope that that's going to happen. Uh, happen. I hope that the Broncos win today. I hope the Dallas Cowboys lose. It's kind of a wishful thinking kind of hope. Unless you're a real Dallas Cowboy, then you switch those things around there. But it's kind of a wishful kind of thinking. But biblical hope is not like that. When you talk about biblical hope and you talk about just the word itself, it means a confident expectation, the sure expectation of what is sure. It's sure anticipation of something. It's not a wishful thinking kind of thing. When we talk about heaven, we're not wishing for it. We have a sincere hope that that day is coming for us and that Jesus is coming back again. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about. And so how can I, you know, I thought about how can I, you know, illustrate this to you so you kind of get what I'm thinking of. Well, let's take a little child on Christmas Eve. You know, the next morning is going to be Christmas, but it's Christmas Eve, and they have a hope. They have a hope that this present, this toy, or this item that they've been wanting more than anything, that they've told their parents about, that maybe they told Santa Claus about at the mall, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, this hope that they have out there, they're hoping to get this toy, but it's not a sure thing unless they peaked when mom and dad was away, you know, and there's been a present put under the tree. It's not a sure thing. It is a wishful kind of thing. But there's another hope that is more sure. And that hope that is more sure for that child is that there is a, a sure expectation and anticipation of the morning. That's a sure thing. I'm talking about Christmas morning. The child goes to bed on Christmas Eve and they lay down and they have, you know, sugar plums dancing in their head. They're so excited that they can hardly fall asleep. And the reason why they, they have a difficulty falling asleep is because of not expectation, but anticipation. Anticipation of what? Anticipation of the morning with the hope that they're going to get what they, they wanted but it's not a sure hope, but that morning is a sure thing. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about hope. I'm talking about 
this, not yearning for an uncertainty, but of a confident anticipation or expectation of something that will indeed uh, come. I'm talking about, you can see it down the road. You're looking down the road in the future and you know that it's a hope that is sure. And like all the Old Testament prophets and Old Testament faithful, they always attach that to a living God. Their hope was not in themselves. Their hope was not in the present that is there. That which is for them is that God has made a promise to them and they place their hopes in that that promise. That's what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is a matter of trusting that God's promise is greater than my predicament. It's greater than my circumstance. It's greater than anything that I'm going through in life. That hope is there for me. But here's the deal. How do you develop that kind of biblical hope? How do you develop that kind of hope where you truly do trust in God's promises that he will come through for you? Well, notice what Paul says to the Romans there in verse 13. He says that I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him so that you might overflow with confident hope. So what he's saying is that God is the source of our hope. And once we get our minds wrapped around that, then we can see down the road when we recognize that God is the source of my hope, that God is the source of of all the promises that he has given to me. When I get to heaven, I hope to see my dad. When I get to heaven, I hope to see my mother. I hope to see my friends that have gone. I hope to see... Bob Hooper. I hope to see Arnie Spriggle. I hope to see all those people. I want to see them again. And so my hope is one that is based in that, but it's not based in just positive thinking. It's based in the assurity that God is the source of all hope. And I put my trust in him. So he is the source of of hope. But too often, instead of looking to him as our source of hope, we looked almost to anything and everything before we go to, to God. Say the problem is financial. Well, when it comes down to financial things, how do I deal? I feel myself being pressed about my bills that are coming my way. How, how am I going to deal with that? And automatically what we sometimes think is that, okay, well, I'll go to the bank and I'll see if I can get some kind of, of, of loan. Or I'll go to maybe a rich relative or maybe a friend can maybe help bail me out of this financial problem. Or maybe it's a problem that is relational, a conflict that is going on with spouse or with a family member. And so what we do there is maybe we go down to Barnes and Noble and we go into the self-help section of the bookstore and we look for something that talks about my marriage relationship or my family relationship or how to parent or how to be a good father or to be a good mother. And so I try to work that thing out. Maybe I look at magazine articles. Maybe I tune into Dr. Phil. And hope that maybe he's dealing with my problem on that particular day. We try everything that we can think of, and then if nothing else works, then we turn to prayer. And that's backwards. We should go to God first and not last. But sometimes we try to work through our own circumstances. We try to work through our own pain or our own sorrow or own difficulties rather than putting our trust in God who fills voids and fills life. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 43, 5. He says, why am I discouraged? 
why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my, my God. You say, well, but he, hasn't, he doesn't have the circumstances that I have. He doesn't, he's not going through the predicaments that I am going through. Well, you don't know that. He's saying, I'm discouraged. My heart is sad within me. To whom do I look to for hope? With surety, anticipation that he is going to keep his promises. And he says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to place my hope in God. I'm going to, I'm going to trust him. So we can hope during life's circumstances because of the one that we hope in is greater than our circumstances. If our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness as the old hymn goes, then we have a great hope. We have much to hope in. We have a great God uh, to hope on. That's the hope that we're talking about. That's the hope that Old Testament believers, they look to as they look to the promise of the Messiah, the Savior, coming into the world. That's the hope that Mary and Joseph had when they looked down in that manger and saw Jesus there, God wrapped in human flesh there with them, that promise that is fulfilled at that moment. It's the hope that we look to when we think about the resurrection and as we think about heaven's glory and our reward that is there. Then there is Romans 15 and verse 4. Such things were written in scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement. Did you see that? The scriptures give us hope and encouragement. In other words, not only do we develop this hope by placing our hope in God, who is the source of hope, but we also develop hope by consulting in God's word. We look to God's word for answers. For instance, take health issues. From what I've done as, as I've studied the word of God is that nowhere in this book here, as I've read through it, is there any promise by God that, that we will not go through some kind of health crisis or that God will heal us of every malady that we have. It, it's not promised there. We can pray about it, but there's no promise that, that you know, we're going to miss that. It's like this COVID thing, you know. Are you going oh, to be able to dodge that thing all the way through? Well, I was thinking pretty confident there for a while. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm good to go on this here. God has put a hedge around me. He shielded me, and then whammo, 11 o'clock in the evening, I take a bite of chocolate, and I thought, I can't tell this is chocolate. This doesn't taste like chocolate. That's a bad thing. So I thought, okay, there's the smell test. So I went, where's the smelliest place in the house? So I went to the refrigerator and thought, maybe there's something in there. And so I smelled it. No, there wasn't no smell in there. And I thought, oh man, I've got this stuff. So I tested and that was, that was positive. Well, you know what? So I didn't dodge that bullet. Uh, but when it comes to health issues, you know, you know, all of us are going to probably struggle with it. So what does the scripture say about that? Well, look at a really popular passage of scriptures found in Romans 8th chapter in verse 28 and 29. Here's what it says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren so what is he saying there how does that relate to you know, to dealing with health issues 
Well, there's a promise that is there. God causes all things to work together for good. So what is that good that is supposed to be coming about? God has promised that all things work together for good to conform us to the image of his son. So it could be that the health issues that I'm going through is going to make me more like Jesus. It's going to put my, my faith more into what God is about. Think about James, the first chapter. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you are, you know, when you are uh, afflicted in many ways. But let this be good for you. Let it cause you to endure more. Help it to, it'll help you to grow in your faith. So when we encounter these many trials, it can build our faith and strengthen us. Sometimes illnesses helps us in those areas there. This promise can be applied to almost any outwardly hopeless situation that we face. That Maybe God is using it to grow us up, to mature us. And if that's not enough, though God has not promised that he is going to heal you of your, all your sicknesses, his promise is that one day you will resurrect from the grave. He's promised that his children will one day get transformed, a resurrection body that will never get sick. And that will never die. <clears throat> so we put our hope in those kinds of things, even as we go through some of the health issues that we find ourselves going through. Or how about financial issues? Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 24 down through 33, Jesus says, why are you anxious about what you're going to eat? Or with how you're going to clothe yourselves or the roof over your head? Non-believers worry about those things, but not you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's what Jesus says. And so he says, rather than worry and fret over all these things, don't you trust me that I'll take care of you, that I'm watching after you? In Tongue, Etienne Nicholas, that I shared with you, man, if you had read some of the stories that he has shared with me over the last six years, especially the last four years of some of his difficulties and hardships that he has gone through his family has gone through his congregation has gone through are absolutely heartbreaking but the dude hasn't looked like he's lost a lot of weight to me i mean he's doing pretty good i mean god is providing the basic needs does he sometimes beg yes he does does he struggle yes he does but he's got a strong faith and a strong trust and a strong hope in and God, that is reflected in the words that he has shared with me over the last years. God has taken care of him, even though he lives in a very third world country, even though the part of his country is in the midst of a civil war and people are dying and people are coming and living in his house, he still believes and has this tremendous hope and belief in, in, in God. God's taken care of him. He promises to take care of us. Developing hope means sometimes we have, we have to just face the facts of our situation we have to consider what's going on when i think about that i think about abraham open your bibles back to romans the fourth chapter romans chapter four <clears throat> in this section of scripture paul is reminding them of the promise that has been made to both the jews and the gentiles that would bring them together and it's based around the promises that were given to abraham the promise is not only to them it's it's a promise that is to us now listen to verse 16 and following for this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, that's the Jews, but also to those who are, not of, the, who are of the faith of Abraham, that's Gentiles, who is the father of all, 
As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, listen to this, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence being that which does not exist. You need to underline that because it's important for the next part that's going to be said. Verse 18, against all hope, in hope Abraham believed so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak, he faced the facts, or he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sakes also. Okay, so what's being said here? Abraham and Sarah have been given a promise that all nations would be blessed because of him. That all nations have a promise. You have a promise and I have a promise, but it had to do with he and Sarah having a baby. Okay, and so Abraham is 99 years old. The Bible describes Abraham as recognizing in, in terms of his body, that in terms of procreation, that is as good as dead. That's what it's saying. That he looked at his physical body and he says, the fact is, is my body is dead in terms of procreation. And Sarah, she's 89 years old and whom's womb is barren or dead. She was barren through her young years and now she's probably went through menopause, and so her, her, her womb is dead. It's barren. And so that physically speaks of those being the facts. Where am I going with this? Well, it is not faithful, faithlessness to consider the facts. It's not unspiritual to carefully consider circumstances. But look how Abraham did it. He came to the correct conclusion that from a human's perspective, there was no way that he and Sarah were going to produce a child in, in terms of the physical facts as they were. And so in the midst of this worldly hopelessness, Abraham was able to develop that kind of biblical hope that led him to believe in God. In other words, when you look at verse 17, He'll t it says there that, you know, God is able to bring back the dead and to create things that don't even exist. He's able to do that. And that he is even able to take the deadness of a womb or the deadness of a seed and make it alive. So even though Abraham couldn't bring back to life the, the deadness in his body, God could. And even though Sarah couldn't bring new life into existence out of the barrenness of her body, God could. And that's where they place their hope. So Abraham didn't believe in himself or the power of his words. He wasn't going to do this thing through, I'm, I'm going to do positive reinforcement. I'm going to be super optimistic. He didn't do that. What he did is he put his belief in God and in the power of God who could do whatever he needed to fulfill the promise that he had made to Abraham. He could take deadness and make it life. That's what he could do. But hope means you got to do your part. You can face the facts, but you've got to do your part. Action is hope. There is no hope without action, Ray Bradbury said. 
Well, that's what Paul is saying here, is you got to do your part. And so, differently from Mary and Joseph, where Mary becomes pregnant without her husband, but through the Immaculate Conception, through the Holy Spirit, Abraham and Sarah were going to have to do their part in the procreative act. They got to do their part. And the result is, is that she will conceive of a son. Through God's power that made their bodies alive, they're able to bring forth their son Isaac. And that's super good news. You say, well, that was super good news for them, but what about us? It's super good news for you. Because without that promise being fulfilled, we would not have the promise of the Messiah. Because that's his lineage. God's promise to Abraham went far beyond Sarah giving birth to Isaac. The promise was fulfilled with the birth of Jesus Christ. And that's what Galatians 3 and verse 16 says. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture do not say and to seeds, meaning many peoples, but to one seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So Abraham was given a promise, but it's really fulfilled, not only in Isaac, but it's completed and completely fulfilled in Jesus coming to this earth. Like I said earlier, stepping out of eternity and being wrapped in human flesh and being born in an animal stall and being laid in a manger to grow up with wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, to live his life, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, to resurrect to give us hope with the promise of his return. That's all super good news. And that's why the message is just so encouraging to me whenever we face circumstances and situations that we sometimes find ourselves in. So this morning's message is really good for us when we face those kinds of things. When we understand that biblical hope is a matter of trusting God's promises, that they're greater than my predicament, then that's, we're way down the road there. So hope is not yearning for something uncertain, but it's a confident anticipation and expectation of something that will indeed come. Hope is based in fact that God loves you. Hope is based in the firm conviction that God cares for you. Hope is based in a final assurance that God wants to be with you. Hope. What is your hope or where is your hope today? Is it wrapped in the expectation of a gift under a tree or is it lost in the darkness that surrounds your, your life? What's your model for life? Do you live in the moment or do you look down the road to Jesus, our our living hope. I guess I'm saying to you is that Jesus, the hope is that Jesus claims is one that is available to all of us. But you gotta, you gotta accept the gift. It's kind of like the anticipation of Christmas morning. And for all you young people, you've, you've given your folks the, the, the list or you've talked to Santa Claus or something. Or you've told your husband or your wife what you want. And there was that anticipation. And then you get there and you open the gift. But it's no good if you don't claim it. If you don't accept it. And it's the same way with this hope that Jesus promises to us. And when we accept that gift, regardless of the circumstances, then God is going to be with us. He'll be with us in the beginning to the end and every point in between. And that's living with Christ and in, in hope. I love this passage as I sincerely close 
For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to harm you and not, plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's the hope that we have. When you think of Christmas morning and you think of the birth of Jesus and all those things, that is such a beautiful, uh, comforting scene in our minds, isn't it? But I want you to know that baby was born to die on the cross for your sins, to give you a living hope that you can trust in, that goes far beyond this life into eternity itself, and it's a hope that's offered to you in Jesus' name as you come into a relationship with him. So I hope you will think about those, those things as we think about Jesus and the hope he provides for us. And if you need to respond to the message in any way, that you're not a Christian, you'd like to become one today to be immersed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you might have that hope, then you can do so this morning. Or if you're a Christian and maybe you've just been really struggling with what's going on in your life and you'd like us to pray with you, we'll pray with you to a God who is our surety of, of hope. Whatever your need is, once you come, all together we stand and sing and give you opportunity.